Good afternoon. Can everybody hear me okay? Okay. Well, join me in prayer again, please, uh, before we dig into the Word. Um, pray that God would speak, that He would open our ears and our hearts to hear the Word and to understand it, and that uh, He would be glorified. Uh, join me in prayer. Uh, God, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Lord, we're so thankful that we can be here as your people. God, to be able to um, sing your truth, to be able to uh, hear your word. God, to be able to share in communion together, to remember, God, your body that was broken and, and, and your blood that was shed for us. God, we pray that, God, as, as we work through your word right now, that you would speak to us. We pray that, Holy Spirit, you would um, give us understanding, that you would convict us in ways that we need to be convicted, that you would encourage us, God, that you would help us to apply the truth and, and bring you glory with our lives. Lord, we ask that in your name, Jesus. Amen. Uh, after Pastor Andy asked me to preach, uh, I felt led to focus on the topic of righteous anger and what that looks like by looking at the example of Jesus from Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. And I'm aware that, that this isn't the main focus of that passage, but it gives us some insight into what righteous anger should look like. You know, anger is a problem that is universal. You know, it exists within every culture. It presents itself among every age group. We all struggle with anger within our workplaces, in our homes, amongst our friends, within the church. And maybe some of us here only think of anger in a negative light. Maybe it brings to mind a, a Hulk-like anger that results in an out-of-control rage. Or maybe it brings to mind someone who is, is more cold and standoffish. And most solutions that the world offers involve using practices such as to, to, to help us manage our anger, such as... Uh, uh, Breathing, using breathing techniques or exercising more or avoiding certain situations and people altogether, which there could be some practical wisdom to some of these solutions, but the Scriptures actually teach us about anger using different categories than the world uses. See, according to the Bible, there are three different categories of anger. There is first divine anger, which is the kind of anger that God has, which is perfect. It's a righteous anger. But the other two categories focus on the kind of anger that we respond with. Now, there is unrighteous anger, which is a sinful anger that is dishonoring to Christ, and it brings about division amongst our relationships. And there is also righteous anger, which is a right response to sin that rightly reflects what angers God and expresses itself in a way that is honoring to Christ. You know, Paul actually refers to this type of anger in Ephesians 4, verse 26, where he commands believers to be angry and do not sin. And so obviously there are some, certain moments where anger is a right response. But Paul also recognizes that there is a potential danger for our anger to become sinful and unrighteous. And the Bible's descriptions of anger show us that it is an action that involves the whole person meaning that it involves how we think, what we believe, our emotions, our desires, and it results in us responding or acting a certain way towards someone that is doing something that we perceive to be evil or sinful. 
You know, Dr. Robert Jones writes that our anger postures us against what we determine to be evil. The problem is, is that sometimes what we perceive or determine to be evil or sinful, which leads us to respond in anger, sometimes actually isn't evil or sinful at all. Now, for example, our, our scripture reading came from Genesis 39, which is the story of Joseph and Potiphar's wife. You know, within that story, Potiphar's wife lies to her husband about something that Joseph did not do. And the text described Potiphar's anger as being kindled in verse 19. You know, Potiphar, he had a wrong perception of that situation, right? He believed that Joseph had committed an evil act against himself and against his wife, when in reality, Joseph had just simply been a, a faithful servant. And Potiphar's unrighteous anger led him to making the rash decision of having Joseph thrown in, in prison. And it can be easy to respond to different situations within our own lives in a similar way. You know, our perception of people, situations, and what we consider to be an evil or sinful act committed against us isn't always the right perception. The reality is, is, is that most human anger is sinful. You know, Jones writes again, the most frequent Old Testament term for anger is used 47 times. And at least 42 of them, 89%, refer to unrighteous or sinful anger. While we tend to assume the best about ourselves, the Bible frequently warns against self-deception. We tend to conceal our sins, covering them with spiritual whiteout. We paint our anger as pure when most of the time it actually isn't. You know, we, we can easily justify our anger as being righteous when it really is not. But the Bible knows better, right? You know, the Scriptures teach us that the heart is deceitful above all things and be, beyond cure. And Paul commands us in Ephesians 4.22 to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. And to be honest, apart from how easily it can, we can deceive ourselves, it, it can just be difficult to know when righteous anger is appropriate and how we should respond when it is appropriate, Right? And so how can we discern whether our anger is unrighteous or righteous? Well, I believe that there are at least three different biblical criteria that distinguish righteous anger from unrighteous anger. And we're going to see these three distinguishing marks as we look at the righteous anger of Jesus displayed in Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. And as we, as we attempt to tackle this topic together, our main idea today will be very simple. It is... Glorify Christ by responding with righteous anger. Glorify Christ by responding with righteous anger. And so let's read Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16 together, and look at how this is fleshed out in the life of Jesus. You know, Mark writes, starting in verse 13, And they were bringing children to him, that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Now here within this story, we see Jesus' righteous anger on display. You know, in verse 14, the text says that Jesus was indignant. Now, this is the only passage in the Gospels where this specific term is used to describe Jesus. 
In the original language, this word means to be aroused with anger or to be very displeased or grieved. And we know that Jesus, he only responds with righteous anger, right? Because Peter described Jesus as the one who, is, who committed no sin. You know, Paul wrote of how Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us. And the author of Hebrews, he wrote of how Jesus was tempted like we are, but he never sinned. And so him becoming indignant here is a righteous kind of anger. But what led Jesus to responding with this righteous anger? And more importantly for us, what can we learn from his response that will help us better understand about what this should look like within our own lives? Well, again, I believe that there are three different criteria that our anger must meet if it is to be considered righteous anger. And we can see how Jesus' anger within our passage meets these three different criteria, which will be our three main subpoints for us today as we seek to, to be able to better understand how we can glorify Christ by responding with righteous anger. And these three subpoints can be found worded a little bit differently in Dr. Robert Jones' book, Uprooting Anger. And so I borrowed them from him because I, I do not believe that there's a, a better method to discern between unrighteous and, and righteous anger within our lives. So these ideas aren't original to me, but our, our three main subpoints are, number one, righteous anger is a response to actual sin. So righteous anger is a response to actual sin. Our second point will be righteous anger is more concerned with how God and his kingdom is being offended. So righteous anger is more concerned with how God and his kingdom is being offended. And then our third point will be righteous anger is expressed in a godly manner. So righteous anger is expressed in a godly manner. And so firstly, righteous anger is a response to actual sin. What did Jesus see, as it says in verse 14, that caused him to become indignant or to respond with this righteous anger? It says in verse 13, And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. And so someone was, was bringing these younger children to Jesus, and we don't know for sure, but it was likely their parents. They wanted Jesus to touch them or lay his hands on them and, and likely pray for them. You know, Matthew wrote in Matthew chapter 19, verse 13, Then people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. Now They had obviously heard who Jesus is, the miracles that he'd been performing, and they probably wanted him to pronounce blessings over their children. And as these parents are attempting to bring their children to Jesus, they are being prevented from doing so by Jesus' disciples. The text says at the end of verse 13 that Jesus' disciples rebuked them. And the word used here for rebuke, it's pretty harsh. This is the same word used throughout the Gospel of Mark when Jesus rebukes the demons that he cast out or when he rebukes those who oppose God's will. But here, his disciples are rebuking parents and their children and preventing them from coming to Jesus. And Jesus sees the sinful actions of his disciples, and the text says that he became indignant or angry because of what they were doing. Which brings us again to our first point. You know, Jesus is angry at actual sin. You know, the first mark or criteria that our anger must meet to be considered righteous anger is that it is a response to actual sin. You know, Tim Challies puts it well when he writes, This means that for anger to be righteous, it cannot arise in response to a violation of my preferences. It cannot arise because I have been inconvenienced 
where I feel that my rights and my freedoms have been trampled upon. Righteous anger reacts against what is really sin. And that, again, is the sin defined by the Scriptures, not by how we define it. So let's think about it. Why were we angry this week? Was it because God or, or we or someone else was actually sinned against? Or were we angry because of some other reason? You know, maybe we've been working hard at our jobs, putting in extra hours and effort, and our boss or our manager didn't give us the recognition, praise, and promotion that we thought we deserved, right? And because we were not recognized, we responded by coming short in our conversations. Maybe our demeanor or our attitude changed. Maybe you mumbled under your breath, you know, see if I ever work that hard again, you know. Now look back to that moment. Did your boss actually sin against you? Or were you angry because your desires and your preferences were not met in that moment? You know, spouses, maybe there was a day that, this week that you came home from a hard day at work and you expected to be greeted at the door by your husband or your wife with a you know, hug and a kiss and, and excited, how was, your, how was your day? Was it a good day? But then when you walked through the door, that did not happen because your better half was just as busy wrangling the kids together and, and making dinner and doing other valuable and important things. You know, did he or she sin against you in that moment? No. But maybe you became angry because your preferences were violated and your desires were not met in that moment, which led to you having unrighteous anger. And maybe that looked like being quiet and cold and standoffish for, for a little while. You know, kids, maybe your parents ask you to do something this week like uh, clean your room or some other chore. And in that moment, you really just did not want to because you wanted to do something else. And so you responded in anger towards your parents. Maybe you got an attitude or you responded by throwing a tantrum or arguing. But think about it. Did your parents sin against you in that moment? No. But you were angry because you likely just didn't want to do what they were asking you to do in that moment. You know, with some of these examples, certain desires or preferences that we have can be really good things. You know, it's not bad to desire promotion. It's, not, it's certainly not bad to desire the attention and the affection of your spouse. But sometimes we want these good things too much. And when our desires are not met then it can result in us responding in an angry way. And it can be easy for us to justify this kind of anger, but if we are not angry at actual sin, as defined by the Bible, then we do not have a righteous anger. So the first criteria used to determine if our anger is righteous is whether our anger is a response to actual sin. But secondly, righteous anger is more concerned with how God and his kingdom is being offended. You know, after Jesus became indignant in verse 14, it, he said to his disciples in the second half of the verse, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of God. What motivated Jesus' righteous anger here within this passage? It was not that Jesus was angry because his popularity or his fame was being threatened by his disciples, preventing these people from coming to him. 
But Jesus has a passion and desire to see God's kingdom be extended to these people. And his disciples' actions are an offense to God because they are threatening to prevent God's kingdom work from happening by keeping these parents and their children from coming to the only one where they can receive salvation. Let's think about the other two accounts where Jesus displays righteous anger in the Gospels. In Matthew chapter 21, verses 12 through 17, Jesus cleanses the temple. Why did he do that? Because they had offended God by making his father's house or the temple a den of robbers, a den of thieves, rather than a house of prayer. In Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, the Pharisees were trying to catch Jesus in the act of committing at least what they labeled or deemed to be sin by seeing if Jesus would heal a man's withered hand on the Sabbath day. The text says that Jesus looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart because they are offending God by misusing the Sabbath day for their own sinful purposes, by hindering Jesus from showing compassion to this man with a withered hand. And as they stand in opposition to Jesus' ministry, they were also standing in opposition to kingdom work. You know, righteous anger, it's more concerned with how God and his kingdom is being offended rather than how me and my kingdom is being offended. You know, Jones writes again, righteous anger focuses on how people offend God in his name, not me and my name. It terminates on God more than me. You know, in other words, accurately viewing something as offensive, it's not enough. We must view it primarily as offending God. You know, righteous anger throbs with kingdom concerns. And so when our children disobey us, are we more concerned with how they have wronged us or how they have sinned against God? Are we angry because they have become an inconvenience to us in that moment? Or are we more concerned with how they have offended God by not honoring their father and their mother? You know, when a close friend lies to us, is our anger only motivated by how they dishonored us and, and, and broke our trust? Or are we more concerned about how they dishonored God through using their deceitful and lying words? You know, Chalice writes, when I, when I witness someone sinning, I tend to see their sin as being against me. When my children or my wife or friends sin against me, I rarely raise my eye, eyes high enough to see their offense as first being against God. You know, instead, I react to the ways they have offended me or the ways that they have violated my rights or interfered with my plans. I hate that they have done this and respond with anger, with unrighteous and ungodly anger. And understand that even if that first criteria is met, that we are angry at actual sin, then we can still respond with unrighteous anger if we're only concerned with how we have been offended rather than mainly concerned with how God has been offended. And so righteous anger is a response to actual sin that's more concerned with how God and his kingdom is being offended. And lastly, righteous anger is expressed in a godly manner. So righteous anger is expressed in a godly manner. So how do we typically express our anger? You know, maybe some of us withdraw uh, from others or, and become cold. You know, we give the silent treatment and avoid those who we're angry with. Maybe we throw a pity party and quietly make it known why, we were, why we're angry, right? Or maybe some of us 
respond by raising our voices, by slamming a door, by using harsh words to point out all the faults of the people that we're angry with. Either way, if this describes how we respond, then our anger is not being fleshed out in a self-controlled and in a Christ-like manner. And when Jesus saw how his disciples were sinning against the children and their parents and offending God and his kingdom by preventing them from coming to him, he doesn't respond in an uncontrolled rage. He also doesn't give his disciples the silent treatment. Let's look at how he responded. He confronts his disciples and commands them to let the children come to him. And then in verse 15, Jesus taught, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. So we can see here that, that Jesus is more concerned about the work of the, that the Father had sent him to do in the spread of the kingdom because Jesus used that incident as a teaching moment to illustrate the nature of saving faith that the kingdom of God belongs to those who will receive it like a child or those who realize their helplessness, their weakness, and their need for Christ. Now, his disciples' actions threatened to undercut and hinder kingdom work, but Jesus, in his righteous anger, led him to respond in a self-controlled and godly manner. We see him continue to respond in this way as he carries out his Father's will, as it says in verse 16, by taking the children in his arms and blessing them through the laying on of his hands. We see a Savior who responds with a righteous anger that manifests itself in a self-controlled and compassionate way. You know, his words and his actions were used to edify those around him. You know, how did it look like, or what did it sound like when we responded in anger this week? You know, even if we were angry at actual sin, and we were more concerned with God and His kingdom being offended, then did we also express our anger in a godly manner? Did our words, you know, our body language, our actions, our facial expressions, our tone of voice show that we were using self-control in that moment? And so righteous anger is a response to actual sin that's more concerned with how God and His kingdom is being offended and it should be expressed in a godly manner. But what are some practical applications that will help us intentionally fight against giving into an uncontrolled, unrighteous anger, and instead respond with a self-controlled, righteous anger? You know, I have just four points of application for us today. You know, the first being that we should filter our angry responses through these three criteria. You know, filter our angry responses through these three criteria. You know, rather than being quick to justify our anger as being righteous, we need to take the time to pause. Because remember, our hearts are deceitfully wicked, right? And we can easily deceive ourselves into believing that our anger is righteous when it's really not. Take a moment to pause, pray and ask God for the ability to be able to discern rightly. And ask yourself these three questions. First, is my anger a reaction to actual sin? Is my anger a reaction to actual sin? And that's sin as defined by the Scriptures and not sin as defined by Jake or you. Secondly, am I more concerned, am I more focused on God and His kingdom being offended or on me and my kingdom being offended? And then, is my anger being expressed in a godly manner? If you find it difficult to remember these questions, then maybe it would also be helpful to write these three questions down 
in a small journal or in a note card that you can carry in your back pocket, in your wallet, in your purse. And as you are tempted to become angry, then you can pull that out and ask yourself those three questions. Am I angry at actual sin? Am I more focused on God in this moment? And if so, how can I express it in a godly manner? Or did I express it in a godly manner? And as we begin to be disciplined at intentionally filtering our anger responses through these biblical criteria, then most of us, including myself, will likely begin to realize that a majority of our anger responses that we justify as righteous probably really isn't righteous at all. But brothers and sisters, don't become discouraged if you do realize this, but praise God that He is revealing that to you and be quick to repent and seek forgiveness, which is our second point of application. So first, filter your anger responses through these three criteria. But secondly... Be quick to repent of unrighteous anger. So be quick to repent of unrighteous anger. And if the Holy Spirit's revealing to you that you struggle with unrighteous anger, then don't ignore the Spirit's work within your life. And as we filter our anger responses and realize that our anger is unrighteous, then we should be quick to repent and seek forgiveness from God and those that we have sinned against. And then quickly look to the gospel and remember that our sin cannot separate us from the love of God in Christ. And he's simply using this as a tool to help us kill sin and to mature in holiness so that we can reflect Christ more faithfully. And so be quick to repent of unrighteous anger. But our third point of application is look for the underlying cause of your anger. Look for the underlying cause of your anger. You know, we mainly focused on how to distinguish between unrighteous and righteous anger, but we're just scratching the surface, right? Also take the next step of asking God to help you examine what caused you to become angry in the first place. You remember, unrighteous anger is often expressed when we have unmet desires or preferences. And this is usually an underlying heart issue that leads us to respond with, underlying, or with unrighteous anger. Maybe you became angry because you didn't get the affection, the recognition, the praise, or, or whatever else it is that you desired. Could this be an underlying idol in your life that you're worshiping that needs to be dealt with? And when you don't get what you want, is it resulting in anger? It can be difficult to identify what this is within our own lives sometimes. And so, if you find yourself consistently struggling with anger, then it could be helpful maybe to grab one of the elders. You know, grab uh, another brother or sister in Christ here that you know who loves Jesus. And sit down over a cup of coffee and have them ask you good questions to help you think through why you became angry in the first place. And then they can also help you develop a plan to, to fight and to kill that sin of anger. You know, James writes in James chapter 4 how underlying sinful desires are what lead to division when left undealt with. You know, it's not enough to just recognize our unrighteous anger, but we also have to take the next step of, of dealing with the underlying cause. If not, we will continue to struggle, and it can lead to division in our relationships. And so look for the underlying cause of your anger. But fourthly, as we put off the old self of responding with unrighteous anger and dealing with its underlying cause, then we need to replace the ungodly behavior that accompanies unrighteous anger with Christ-like behavior. And so our fourth point of application is mature in reflecting Christ through our words and actions. 
So mature in reflecting Christ through our words and actions. You know, righteous anger shouldn't be viewed in a negative light. You know, it doesn't look like a Hulk-like rage or, or being cold and standoffish. It looks like Jesus as he was indignant toward his disciples, responding with, with self-control. His words and actions were firm as he confronted his disciples who had sinned, but they were words that also edified them. If righteous anger is marked by expressing itself in a godly manner, then we need to know what the Bible teaches about self-control, which involves us responding with God-honoring actions and speaking to others in a gentle, kind, loving, and a patient way. And then it means putting what we learn into practice. We learn how to minister to and edify others as we respond with righteous anger rather than bringing about division through unrighteous anger. God teaches us about this in books of the Bible like Proverbs and Galatians and Ephesians. You know, I'd highly recommend Dr. Robert Jones's book called Uprooting Anger. That's a good place to start there too. He does a wonderful job in this book of pointing us toward the truth and helping us put it into practice as, as we uproot anger in our lives. But if we're going to respond in a godly manner, then we need to know what that looks like according to the Scriptures. But also realize that this is impossible apart from the Holy Spirit. Apart from salvation in Christ and the Spirit who indwells all believers, we are incapable of overcoming unrighteous anger. And so in conclusion, if you're here today and you haven't trusted in Christ for salvation, then understand that God's anger and wrath weighs heavy against you. And apart from Christ, there is no hope. But just like we saw in the passage, God is perfectly loving and compassionate, but also directs and displays his anger in a perfect way. See, apart from Christ, we deserve his wrath because we have all sinned against him. And God hates sin and has to deal justly with it. But God has also displayed his love towards us by sending Jesus who took on our sin in his body and he took on the wrath of God that we deserved when he went to the cross. And he died, again, he died defeating sin and death. And he calls us to respond by turning from our sin and receiving Christ who saves and if that's you, then I would encourage you to talk to me, talk to one of the elders, talk to, to someone who loves Jesus, and they can share with you more about the gospel. But brothers and sisters of Grace Fellowship Church, as we leave here today, I pray that the Spirit would reveal any unrighteous anger within our lives and that we would reflect Christ in those moments when we're called to be angry and do not sin. Join me in prayer. Jesus, we come before you, and Lord, we're th so thankful for your, your example of a display of a perfect righteous anger. God, an anger that, isn't, uh, that, that is, is focused on uh, being angry at actual sin, and it's, it's more focused on um, your kingdom, and it's, it's focused on expressing itself in godly ways. And, and God, we thank you for your example. God, we know that this is so hard. This is very difficult to respond in this way. Usually we're, we're angry because our preferences or our desires aren't met. And we're angry because uh, we're focused more on ourselves and on how you've been offended. And, and God, uh, I know that me personally, I, I express it in an ungodly ways often. But God, I pray that you would help us to see, to be more aware of that sin. 
when we do respond that way, that we'd be quick to repent, that we'd be quick to seek forgiveness for, from you and from those we've sinned against, that you continue to, by the power of the Spirit, make us more like you, Christ, in how we respond, that we would be angry at what angers you, and that uh, we would reflect that anger in a godly manner, Lord. Uh, help us to continue to work through this, to understand it, where we ask those things in your name, Jesus. Amen.